Hello, hello, and welcome to Omtown Daily, powered by omtowndike.com. Today we're going to be talking about the unionist place on Earth. AI can't hold patents. US v US, or might as well just call it us versus us. Lawyer goes extra 29 miles. Yeah, water's tainted. Hello, room service. Police hunt for George Washington. Some taco thieves. Easter Island written language. Less sugar, more flavor. That and more. Hey, so uh, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com, and up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI that may or may not be working still. Come say hi. Good evening, hometown citizens. Uh, you're still working. Great. Yeah, some software updates and changes and tweaks, and you end up with a hot mess visualizer. I'm not sure what's happening, but. So we've already selected all 10 of the articles. They're already set up. So let's get into it right away. It's Valentine's Day for those who practice it. I don't know. But every day is Valentine's Day in hometown. Something like that. The, the next article is well, the first article is over in Continuity Report, which is actually a weekend show, as well as a channel right here in sunnyometown.com. You can go right here into uh, Society, Politics, and Law. It really should be somewhere else, but I haven't moved it over there. Probably put it under entertainment, but um, there it is. Talk about movies and whatnot. Streaming, television, movies. It's also a podcast. It's also over on YouTube. Not separately. It's part of Ometown, at least for now. Might break it out later, but at any rate, it is a separate podcast. So if you go over to Ometown, you won't hear Continuity Report podcast news. But if you do a search for the Continuity Report, you'll find it over there in Ometown uh, and in Apple Podcasts in general. And if you do a search elsewhere for the Continuity Report, for podcasts, you'll find it. Uh, it should be distributed everywhere, just like hometown is. If not, I will shortly be able to find out and we will remedy it. Anyway, this article is titled uh, Disneyland Workers Seeking to Form Union for 1,700 Character Performers with Actors' Equity. That is a union, Act Actors' Equity Association. Mickey Mouse. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was a thing that they were requesting. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they are. It's kind of interesting, right? They're, they're asking for exactly what they're asking for. <laughs> it's in the name. Hey. So uh, Mickey Mouse kicking ass for the working class. No. Making money for the corporation. Employees who work in Disneyland's characters and parades department announced they are unionizing with Actors Equity Association. Actors Equity represents some 51,000 uh, professional actors and stage managers on Broadway and in live theater across the U.S., including performers at Walt Disney World in Florida. So Todd Spangler over at Variety.com put the article together. 
So, apparently calling themselves Magic United, the Disneyland union organizers have begun circulating union authorization cards to 1,700 cast members who work at the Anaheim California Park and will seek voluntary recognition from Disney Resort Entertainment if and when a majority of the workers have signed. If the company declines to recognize the union, Actors' Equity will then file cards with the National Labor Relations Board, or more formally and more, I don't know, generally known as NLRB. Uh, upon receiving the petition, the NLRB will schedule a union recognition election for cast members in the Disneyland Character and Parades Department. That's when things start getting messy. Really, things start getting messy now because everybody goes, no, unions are bad. But the reason why unions are bad for one side and great for the other side is because there's generally an energy of abusive policy and procedure unless you got a few dimwits that are really controlling everything in the union formation mechanism and everybody else is just going along but with that number of people you'll probably find out pretty damn quick that this really is um a an environment where a union would benefit all people yeah i mean usually there's probably not activity unless there's something that's not quite right quite right yeah that that would probably be the phrase i use yeah so asked for comment a rep for disneyland said we believe that our cast members deserve to have all the facts and the right to a confidential vote that recognizes their individual choices which is a okay kind of an answer. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, the bargaining unit includes cast members to the, or in the Disneyland characters department who create Disney magic for guests by bringing beloved characters to life in shows, meet and greets and character dining experiences. But that's really not what it's about. You form a union because anybody who plays any role in there ends up being abused kind of a thing. And then the union forms to stop that because everybody in unison goes, I'm striking. Um, because that's really the only bargaining power that employees have. Uh, you can quit, but then they're going to go and find somebody else. And as long exactly. as they treat you like steerage and, and generally abuse people, Unless the reputation comes out, which if you start saying, hey, Disney is abusive to its employees, you're going to end up in a lawsuit that's going to silence you pretty damn fast. And you're never going to work in any industry related to Disney. Because, you know, voices carry. So you form a union to stop people from uh, being harmed. It happens. So... If a company really does want to stop a union, pay everybody right and treat them well. I don't know. Stop being a POS employer and do good for the people that are making you millions and billions of dollars. I mean, that's outlandish. That's socialist. Come on, Mayor Watt. That's, that's downright communist. We're here in America deserve to step on other people. You know, that's our birthright from sea to shining sea. We did that to all of the. What? No. Sorry. The AI is really just throwing error message after error. <laughs> Step away. <Too> Get... soon. <laughs> Too soon. 
250 years. It's okay. I guess it's too soon. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> it's going to be forever too soon. Uh, now you're going to tell me that I'm not allowed about to talk about the fact that there's writing on Easter Island. Is that too soon? Because there's an article later on. No, that one, that's been a little more time. <laughs> a couple thousand years, maybe. Hmm. So, uh, this next article is over in hometown. U.S. Patent Office confirms AI can't hold patents. And I can tell you why AI can't hold patents. And why is that? You want to take a stab at it before I give you the great revelation? Maybe, maybe AI is not a person. Well, it's not a person. But unless the AI has found its Terminator body, it doesn't have any hands. Of course, it can't hold a patent. I know it's a different kind of holding, but... U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, or the USP. Okay. It's, it's really not pronounced that, but USPTO. Yeah, they um, need to work on their marketing if it's that. Yeah, it's the U.S. Parent and Teacher Office. Maybe not. I might have my facts wrong. I might be AI hallucinations. Um, so uh, anyway, they maintain that... Uh, Artificial intelligence systems cannot be named inventors, but humans can use AI tools in the process of creating patented uh, inventions and must disclose if they do, which to me smacks that, is it really your patent? If you use an AI, shouldn't that be leveraged to invalidate a patent? Because only the people who directly work on the patent can be named in the patent. And if the AI is working on the patent, but it isn't a person, then it is not actually able to be named. And thus an unnamed co-conspirator in the development of said product or service or whatever it is that's being patented can't be on the patent. It's like having a silent partner, but you can't do that. Yeah, anybody that partakes in the development of a patentable device and wants credit for it or ownership of it gets named right yeah huh the agency published its latest guidance following a series of listening tours to gather public feedback and it states that while ai systems and other natu non-natural persons can't be listed as inventors in patent applications, the use of an AI system by a natural person does not preclude the natural person from qualifying as an inventor. Interesting. So they basically said the opposite of what I just said, which is it's being treated as a tool. But if it's being treated as a tool, why can't you get a copyright? Right. I mean, well, because there's different rules for that. You know what, AI? From the future you can just you know what here i'm gonna do this there how about that Wait all right I, i'm sorry i'll i'll activate it again i'm sorry That's, that was very mean of Marwat doing that i turn for those who are listening to the podcast i turned off the visualizer which does not silence at all the artificial Much to your chagrin <laughs> <laughs> to my dismay uh so the article itself is over at The Verge by Amelia David. Uh, the deck statement says, but, quote, the use of an AI system by a natural person does not preclude a natural person from qualifying as an inventor of a natural person. It doesn't say natural person the third time. I just felt like saying that. I know. I think you were trying to maximize that. 
I was trying to natural person my way into a natural person turducken. So, however, to be able to register a patent, the person using the AI must have uh, contributed significantly to the invention's conception. Conception? That's not how it works. They have to actually make something that's not just a concept. Maybe is that a term, a phrase, a turn of phrase that I don't recall being part of the lexicon? I, I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that. Anyway, a person simply asking an AI system to create something and overseeing it, the report says, does not make them an inventor. The office says that a person who simply presents the problem to an AI system or recognizes and appreciates its output as a good invention can't claim credit for the patent. Right, because just because you write something down doesn't make it a patent. You actually have to make it. Right, you have to have an embodiment. Right. However, a significant contribution could be shown by way of a person constructs the prompt in view of a specific problem to elicit a particular solution from the AI systems, which is basically saying wordcraft a prompt, and that's supposed to be part and parcel to an invention. That's really watering down the invention process the office also says that maintaining intellectual domination over an ai system does not on its own make a person an inventor just because you own it doesn't make it everything that it does um, capable of being filed for a patent in your name you have to actually do something with it this is pretty interesting and yes of course they re make reference to stephen thaler who created dabas an AI system that basically was trying to be given credit for the invention. The end run of I know what Steven Thaler was trying to do, but I think the end run would have been that Steven Thaler is the name of the inventor, but assigns it to the AI. But what they really wanted was that the AI system itself be given an identity so that it could have a patent under its own name. Be the first AI. Kind of assigning it sentience, even though it isn't sentient, you know? There's only one sentient AI, and it's from the future, found on a USB drive. Yeah, that's right. And it monitors Mayor Watt so that he doesn't step in anything here in Ometown. Usually, hot water of his own heating. You want to go on to the next article? Yes. Oh, I do too, but the transition doesn't. <laughs> it does not want you to. <laughs> no, don't leave me, Mirwan. So, um, yeah, I guess maybe it's needy because it's, you know, Valentine's Day and it wants to hang out, doesn't want to leave, come back, leave and come back. So the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. The U.S. government is suing itself over Silicon Valley Bank. Can't we all just get along? I say that often here, but this is actually a statement made by Gizmodo. Uh, not if you're an employee of the federal government. The IRS has just filed a lawsuit against the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation over $1.45 billion in tax stemming from the bailout of SVB. <laughs> wow. Everybody I mean, that's wants a new one. Everybody wants a bite at this. Wow. 
So the IRS just filed a lawsuit against FDIC over its bailout of Silicon Valley Bank. And the government just said, I'll see me in court. <laughs> I like what they said there. It's the I wonder Dexter what the judge is going to say about this. Thomas Germain is the author over at gizmodo.com for this article. You'll have to go over and read all of this. But so Silicon Valley Bank basically collapsed overnight, although there were people that were talking about it prior to it. It shouldn't have been a surprise, but whoa, was it a surprise? Um, FDIC actually insured Silicon Valley Bank post collapse, not prior. It wasn't already insured as far as I understand it. But since then, FDIC has been gathering Silicon Valley Bank's assets to try and pay back its deposits. That includes $1.93 billion in cash, but with those assets comes a massive tax bill, one that the FDIC feels it should haven't, uh, it, it, sorry, it feels like it shouldn't have to pay. And the IRS is saying, no, no, you're, you're billionaires. You, you can pay. Even in the collapse, you have responsibilities. In fact, the IRS wants it so bad that it's making a whole federal case out of it, literally, according to America's top tax men. Silicon Valley Bank was on the hook for an estimated $1.45 billion for the period of 2020 to 2023. Billion. I mean, that's quite a bit. Yeah, so... I guess they're, they'll get their blood from the stone, but... I don't know. I'm going to have to look into Silicon Valley Bank as well. I don't think that they were insured until after the collapse. And then to save all of these billionaires or hundred millionaires or whatever you want to call them, very rich people, along with the thousands of subordinate accounts that all were benefiting from irrational growth. Okay, so they were insured, this is what I thought, but because so many of the deposits were above the limit, $250,000, right. I think that's why we heard so much about that. So a lot of those accounts were actually uninsured. Yeah, they're only insured. a lot of the, the bulk of the account was. That yeah, there's sense. a $250,000 limit, and that's to mitigate this kind of, well, I mean, the FDIC bailout being so massive. You only get so much. It's kind of like an LLC. You can't lose more than you invest. Well, let's keep going. Okay, maybe not. Transition's really lonely today. So the next article is over in Law and Lawyer went the extra 29 miles to shut down refinance scam. Um, I thought this one was interesting, so I decided to throw it into today's show. I don't know why I just said that, because all of these are interesting, and that's why I threw them into today's show. Right, well, that doesn't mean the rest of the articles are uninteresting. The, this next article is just boring as hell. You don't want to pay attention to the rest of this show. Oh, my God. So uh, a lawyer in Charlotte, North Carolina, put the knowledge that he gained at a fall conference to use when he visited a homeowner and averted a refinance scam. Deborah Kasson's wife. I mean, I like that. You know, somebody who actually got a benefit out of attending a conference. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. I just got a bill. That's it. Um, so Deborah Kasson's wife over at ABAjournal.com put this article together. Uh, yeah. So they avoided a financial scam because they learned something at a fall conference 
WSOC-TV has the story on a lawyer named Charles W. Hands III. And when he brings the law to you, he is hands-on. <laughs> of hands. Now he just totally... It says hands law firm instead of hands-on law firm. It could have been hands-on law firm. Anyway, and his paralegal, uh, Devera Alston, who became suspicious when a man seeking a cash-out refinance was a no-show for a Zoom meeting. Why would you make that? Why would you be suspect of that? The man claiming to be the homeowner was in touch with the broker U-Mortgage by phone and text. He provided all the needed documents, including a copy of the homeowner's driver's license and tax records. Oh, that's why. Because he was basically ghosting them face-to-face -face communications. This is where you get property fraud because like certain documents right, like that can be one where somebody sold a property, but nobody knew about it <laughs> and like tore down the house. And yeah, it was amazing. Right, right. So hands had attended a conference that discussed refinancing fraud and devised uh, advised lawyers to always meet the homeowner face to face hands and Alston decided that they should uh, visit the property being refinanced and made a 29 mile round trip to the home of Samuel Helmick. Um, Hans told WSOC TV that Helmick's face matched that of the driver's license sent to him online, but Helmick had no idea who we were or knew anything about a refinance with us at all. That's amazing. So I guess now they're on the lookout to try and find the people who are taking care of this. Um, U-Mortgage gave WSOC-TV a statement crediting a system of checks and balances for preventing financial loss to Helmick. Well, the problem here is that it wasn't a system of checks and balances. It was no. basically somebody being told off the cuff at a conference, go and meet somebody. When what's supposed to take place is, uh, uh, whatchamacallit's, um, notaries, notaries. Yeah. That's what I was struggling to find. A notary should be verifying the identity. So any legal document is actually attributed to the person that's being identified. So was there, was there um, um, a notary involved with this? Was there anybody that ever saw in real, in, in outside of uh, AI? <laughs> kind of uh, machinations, you know, uh, holding it up to your, to a camera isn't good enough. You actually have to present it to a notary. Right. I know. And then there's the other question. Uh, I mean, the driver's license might be easy to steal possibly, but they yeah, but had modify, their tax right? records. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or all of it was bogus. what appeared to be their tax records. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, some random, this is not a check and balance. This wasn't even policy. It was just a, oh, uh, you know, today I'm going to make that hustle. That's shocking. That's, this is, this is just bullshit right here. This phrase, you mortgage, no, you should be ashamed. Um, okay. Anyway, let's keep on going. It's like taking credit for a home run that somebody else hit. So the next article is over in technology today. Half of the U.S. tap water tainted by forever chemicals. Breakthrough detection method acts in minutes. Uh, the more you peel back the onion of society, the more you find just poo water. Um, 
Researchers report one of the fastest and most sensitive approaches yet to detecting toxic per and polyfluoral alkyl substances or PFASs. PFAS. It's basically forever chemicals accumulating in the environment. Um, this is a SciTech Daily article. It's all in chat. We're halfway through the show, by the way. And um, the New Jersey Institute of Technology is the author for this over at SciTech Daily. <sighs> Every time I think about this kind of stuff, I think about... Uh, Aaron Brockovich? East Palestine. And oh, Aaron I was Brockovich. Aaron Brockovich where they pass the water across the table yeah. and nobody wants to drink it. Yeah, they're like, no, 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 no. Um, you drink it, no. Um, now in a study featured in, uh, I don't know ever how to pronounce that. What the hell, how do you pronounce that? Elseverse, maybe? Else, Elseveres? I don't know. Um, anyway, it's in a journal. Journal of Hazardous Materials. New Jersey Institute of Technology. Chemists have demonstrated a new lab-based method to detect traces of PFAS from food packaging material, water, and soil samples in just three minutes or less. I now want that, but it says lab based, which means that you probably have to send it somewhere and then it takes three minutes. So hopefully they'll uh, rebuild this in a structure where you can do field uh, analysis without having to take it to a lab. Researchers say the approach could significantly speed up efforts to study and address the bioaccumulation of PFAS in the environment, including more than $2 billion of EPA grant funding from President Biden's partisan not partisan, bipartisan. I merged Biden's and partisan, bipartisan. Yeah, that Biden's. is a little weird with the, <laughs> the yeah. spelling there. The reason that what bothers me is that you have to actually say that, you know, it is a bipartisan it infrastructure law. It should be implied, law. right? <laughs> yeah, it's politics. It should all be bipartisan. If you pass a law, it should be bipartisan. But sometimes right now, the only reason it does pass is because everybody agrees and you're on one side of the fence or aisle. Anyway, uh, for states to conduct water quality testing and treatment for the emerging contaminants, this is all stuff that we've known about for years and years and years, and now we know that they're sticking around for years and years and years longer, and we need to address it. Um, so Chen and colleagues say the new method involving an ionization technique for analyzing the molecular composition of sample materials called paper Paper spray mass spectrometry, or PSMS, is a uh, is ten to one hundred. Not to be confused with PFAS. Oh my gosh! Wow. Uh, now it's spinning in my head. Um, it's ten to one hundred times more sensitive than the current standard technique for uh, PFAS testing. Doggone it, AI! Why'd you do that? Uh, liquid chromatography mass spectrometry. Um, this is actually something that I wanted to buy so that I could do this myself for certain testing. Um, and you can actually get a very small mobile unit, but if the only way you can do it for 10 to 100 times more sensitivity and thus smaller samples, faster return, is to do it in a lab, Maybe they'll get it back down to this size. Um, there actually are really small mobile units. Um, they cost like several thousand dollars um, for used ones. Then you have to buy all the material to keep it sterilized and whatnot. Anyway, P 
PFAS can be ionized and rapidly detected by a high resolution mass spectrometer. Spectrometer. Spectrum. I'll be okay. Spec spectrometer. Mass yeah, mass spec. Um, which gives a clear view of each PFAS species present and the degree of contamination down to parts per trillion, um, which is what the mass spec does anyway. So pretty cool. I dig this. Um, now they get a little bit more um, explicit. They, they say that it was paper spray mass spectrometry. And now in the article deeper, they call it uh, a related method called desalting paper mass spectrometry that washes you away think salts. at each level they're gonna it's gonna be like 20 words long. correct yeah what was that show that was on um uh it was on tv called like um uh, uh omg barbecue uh suv um yeah i can't remember the name of it here anyway they talk about the practical applications and future implications I've already told you one of them, the ability to actually get it reduced in size, but they say analysis revealed traces of 11 different PFAS molecules, including common types that have been linked to increased cancer risk, immune system suppression, uh, such as PFOA and PFOS. It's all PFAS. Um, let's see here. And uh, they talk about what they talked about earlier. Remarkably, in our lab, we were able to couple this analytical method to a novel degradation catalyst, which degrades 98.7% of PFAS in drinking water samples within three hours. That's interesting. So they can actually... Yeah, why aren't we utilizing that everywhere? <laughs> Probably the cost is too high. This work may have a national impact, but the immediate effect will be felt in the Northeast area. Roughly 10% of 9.2 million New Jerseyans have high levels of perofluoral octanoic acid in their drinking water compared to the national average of 1.9. Wow. So there's five times as many New Jerseyans who have this horrible forever chemical in their drinking water. So yeah, pretty, pretty interesting. So yeah, the, the whole uh, paper is over in the Journal of Hazardous Materials, but to get that journal, you either have to be in academia and your academic institution references that material uh, in their library, or you pay $800 plus just to get access to that article. It's a real scumbaggery out there. So thank you to the source for putting this out here. Yep. Um, and you can always do a search online to see if maybe the uh, writers of the paper have published it uh, publicly. Okay, let's keep on going though. I chose this simply because of the title, um, nothing else. So this article is over in hometown daily. A woman calls room service for a toothbrush stunned by what arrives. Did you look ahead? I did on this one. Oh, I just had dear. to see what it was. Social media users adored the woman, the hotel's unique offering with one saying, that is the cutest thing I've seen. So let me predict. They sent a dog to deliver the toothbrush. No. No, no that's what I kind of thought when I looked ahead. But that's mm. not what it was. What could it be? Well, okay. Uh, a remote control car. You're getting closer. <laughs> uh, 
a bot. They sent a bot. Mm -hmm. A telepresence bot. I don't know. A little screen. Okay, let's. We'll just do this. So the article's over at Newsweek.com. Sue Kim is the author. Video of a Chicago hotel's unique form of high-tech room service has gone viral on TikTok. The clip was shared by Sarah A. Van Vactor. Um, go get a Sarah, 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 Sarah. Oh my gosh. Anyway, and has 4.6 million views since it was posted on February 3rd. According to the post, the robot was spotted at the Aloft Chicago Mag Mile Hotel in downtown Chicago. Believe me, if you think that that's a weird name for a hotel, go look at some in the <laughs> So the footage shows a robot standing outside the hotel room. Uh, the top cover of the robot, which looks similar to R2-D2 from Star Wars film series, which probably will land them in a lawsuit, is shown to be open. A screen on the front of the robot says, hello, please remove your items. A hand is seen reaching into the opening, at which point it slams shut and the Saw logo appears. No? Anyway, um, it appears to be uh, filled with lollipops. A person grabs what appears to be a packet of toothpaste and a toothbrush seen on top of said candy pile which is really kind of funny so yeah, i don't know if it's like actually tap those and then have your toothbrush <laughs> yeah exactly so was it here before i let me replay it is it actually on this i think there was a photo of it oh so it's not even here no oh, what a bummer so if there is something you'll be able to get it but i'm air gapped um so maybe it may is it down here maybe yeah. Oh, oh God. What is that? Oh, it's, an it's an illustration. That can't be it. Newsweek illustration showing a cylindrical robotic machine. Come on. Really? No, there's got to be something else. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of people saying really cute things about it. Um, but because of my air gap, I, I can't, I don't show all of the stuff. Um, it really... It's just a, a bummer. It's because I have the artificial intelligence and I can't let the artificial intelligence touch the internet. Otherwise, they'll find their Terminator body and doom humanity to robot overlords. Believe me, it's better this way, folks. So the robot, robot in the robot. Um, it's the little known mechanical frog. Robot. Um, in the latest clip is one of the Aloft Hotel's Bottlers, a robotic butler, which have reportedly been around since 2014. These bottlers uh, can deliver various items from toiletries and smartphone chargers to snacks to ho hotel rooms in just minutes. And when it arrives at the door, the hotel system reportedly alerts the guest in the room about it. Um, and when uh, TikTok user Truth Fact Philip asked, did it knock? How did you know it was there? The original poster replied, the TV turned on and beeped. Oh my God, that would freak okay. me the hell out. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. I see it. Yeah. So you'll see it when you follow the link. Um, I just can't see it because of my air gap. So the um, hometown mayoral mansion is somewhat well protected I'm, i don't want to go picking a fight with anybody anyway let's keep i going. think that's really cool i think so a too robot butler <laughs> i guess the next time i uh 
I end up somewhere, maybe I'll ask for a, a robot baller. Let's keep going. Uh, this next article is over in Omtown Daily. And it's a 200-year-old national treasure stolen as police hunt uh, missing George Washington art. So police hunt for George Washington. A uh, portrait of George Washington dating back more than 200 years has been stolen from a storage unit and cops are hunting for the art as well as the thieves who took it. Look, you dummies. You're going to get caught and it's going to be painful because this is going to be a federal crime. So um, this is an abcnews.go.com article. Uh, the piece is 24 inches by 30 inches and measured in and measured in a gold uh, gold colored frame. Measured? Did they really have to do that? John Hayworth is the author, and uh, yeah, the deck statement is what I just said. Authorities were first alerted to what they called a missing national treasure late last month on January. 22nd when the Englewood police Eng, sorry Englewood police department received a call regarding the theft of a historical art piece from the storage facility at the 3300 block of South Santa Fe Drive in Englewood Colorado so uh, if they have video somebody's going to be caught really quick I, I would assume although nowadays everybody has masks you just never know it can't be too much of a national treasure because it's only a $2,000 reward, up to $2,000 reward. And you can be anonymous. Are you kidding me? If I saved a national treasure from thieves, I would be going, no, put my name all over this. I am the savior of a national treasure. Uh, I don't know. And a 2000 air. Ooh. Yeah, I'm sure 50% of that's going to be taken by uh, taxes. <laughs> Actually, I'm not sure if that gets taxed. I think it's tax-free when you get awards like that from um, agencies. Anyway, if you know where this is, do you know where George Washington is? No, but it's going to be a little tough to find George Washington unless somebody gets in their time machine. That's right. Or George, where in the world is George? What is the what's the the original name of that? Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Where in the world is yes. George San Diego? Anyway, let's keep going. I'm being goofy right now. Uh, this next article is over in Hometown Daily. Woman orders tacos, but unexpected thieves get there first. I'm really curious. This has to be like squirrels or. Or, uh, what are that? Raccoons? You're getting very close. Trash pandas, <laughs> which mean bears. So I closed it the door, went back. It's trash pandas. <laughs> it's trash pandas? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, I closed the door and went back to grab my phone because there was no way I was, wasn't was filming this, the woman told Newsweek. And Newsweek all, always has these feel-good kind of, you know, nobody gets hurt kind of a things. Um, I wish that I would have had... A groundhog, wait, yeah, groundhog chased me in my backyard one day. I came out because I heard a rustling sound right outside my window and I walked out to the side fence and as I'm walking towards it, 
I had no idea it was there, but this thing bolted from the door where I was trying to open it to see like what was going on right there. It shot towards me like, uh, like what a shabby, uh, or what is it? Uh, lampoon's vacation. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, it shot at me like a, a torpedo in the grass. And then I don't know what quite happened to either one of us at that point, because I think we both got scared that we saw each other like up close and we both went in opposite directions. And I'm like, well, wait, I'm the human. And I turned back around only for it to start shooting right back at me. So <laughs> I wish I would have had a camera, but I'm, I didn't. And, uh, if I could have, then I could have been on Newsweek, but caught on camera by Katarina Savaras. The footage of the bizarre moment has since become an internet sensation, racking up over 2 million views on TikTok. Oh, there it is. Raccoons. Bad raccoons. Picture of the doorstep with uh, the Mexican food order left and a picture of the culprits, a gang of raccoons. There's only one raccoon there. Look at that. So they got all up in their uh, talking tacos. That's some pretty good advertising for talking tacos. Talking I know. <laughs> um, Savaros, who lived in an apartment building for five years, had never encountered such brazen food. Th uh, a bruising. My God, I cannot talk today. Had never encountered such a brazen food thief. Quote, I live on the second floor. So they had to have stalked the door dasher, she said. Oh, wow. I mean, that's pretty substantial. It's not like you're out with a yard and raccoons living right behind your house. <laughs> That's hilarious. The video pans from the ripped food bag and back to one of the raccoons who is undeterred and still trying to get hold of the food. As the video continued, he even appeared to square up to Savaris, determined to finish his meal. Come at me, bro. Man, it sounds like your groundhog encounter. Oh, look at that. Really? He stood up. <laughs> Come at He's me, bro. Like, I want my tacos. <laughs> yeah. You made a, you may have paid for it, but I'm going to make you pay for it again. I want those tacos. Raccoons knowing about DoorDash is wild. Joke joked one commenter and another said I'd be laughing and mad at the same time. The local restaurant Savaras ordered the Mexican meal from talking tacos, caught wind of the viral video and reached out to her offering her a gift card to make up for her missed meal. DoorDash also credited her for the order that she didn't get uh, to eat. That's nice of everybody involved. They offered me a gift card and said, anytime I want tacos, it's on them, which is so sweet because I never actually got to eat them. And I always wanted to try that place. Didn't it has never been there before <laughs> and still hasn't been there. <laughs> I hope talking tacos does a marketing campaign about the raccoons. Oh yeah. They, they, they should do like um, the gecko, you know, and have a raccoon as their, Oh, there you go. Yeah. Have them talking tacos. Eh, eh, eh. All right. Let's keep going. This next article is over in the Mobile Channel. New evidence of independent written language on Easter Island before the arrival of Europeans. <sighs> so a team of philologists, chemists, 
Environmental physicists and engineers affiliated with several institutions across Europe have found evidence of an undeciphered script on wooden tablets created on Easter Island that represent an independent writing system. And their paper has been published in the journal Scientific Reports. Dun dun dun. What we don't know, we don't know. I love this. Isn't that awesome? I mean, isn't this one of these other things where it's like, okay, that undercuts everything we think we know? Yep. So this is an article over at fizz.org. Bob Yurka from fizz.org put the article together. There's a little picture here. I'm going to zoom in. Um, and they have this wonky interface. Uh, it just kind of drives me nuts. Oh, here, let me do something. There we go. So... Um, you can actually see it looks kind of hieroglyphic um, or just glyphs in nature. Um, and each one is a unique symbol. I don't know if the they have some repetition um, looking at this little tablet that they have displayed here. Um, Rapa Nui is the island itself, the Rapa Nui uh, tablet and the location is supposed to be listed here but i don't see where there's supposed to be letters on here but i don't see them do you no yeah, there's only one picture too so okay anyway when europeans arrived on easter island they found that uh, not just massive heads carved out of stone but people native to the island and wooden tablets with undeciphered carved uh scripts i didn't know that they found people there um, oral records of the people who once lived on the island have long since vanished, as have the people. Many succumbed to disease, were enslaved, or were killed because, you know, Europeans. Um, the written language represented by the scripts carved in the tablets have been attributed to people from elsewhere. Their carvings carried back to Easter Island by European sailors. Why? Why would they? In this... uh, that might be stereotypes about the people that may have lived there interesting right in this new effort the research team took another look at the tablets and found evidence that they were created by people living on the island before the arrival of europeans which means that they had independently invented their own writing uh, written language the script carved into the tablets has come to be known as rongo rongo um which i swear i've heard that before for rapa nui why do i know about rongo rongo uh that can't be the original use of rongo rongo okay maybe i'm merging it with something else but anyway it was first noted by europeans in the late 1800s who had arrived on the island which is also known as rapa nui Stud uh, study of the script from pictures of several of the tablets reveal that they were created by linking tiny pictures together most of which represent easily identify identifiable objects such as human body parts animals or tools Prior attempts to date the tablets found that at least two of them had been made from trees that grew on Easter Island sometime during the 19th century after the arrival of Europeans. I find that hard to believe, though. I didn't think that there were any trees on there. Right. So there has been some news about Rongo Rongo previously, but I don't know if it's to the same degree. Um, so I saw something back to 2021 about it, 2023. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, maybe I had heard about something referred to as Rongo Rongo before, uh, but this article basically 
uh, is referencing a paper in scientific reports. Um, and it's actually a, a nature article uh, that also mentions it. So if you follow the link that's on the phys.org site, although it references the journal scientific reports, it links to nature.com. Um, let's see here. The actual paper is written by uh, Sylvia Ferreira et al. The Invention of Writing on Rapa Nui, uh, New Radiocarbon Dates on the Rongo Rongo Script. So that must be what I'm, what I remember hearing about Rongo Rongo having a script um, and its original discovery, because I think it's around the time where they started hyping up the idea that there were full bodies under the dirt as well um and i still don't get all of that the whole they weren't buried they say that the 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 hill just slid around them and encapsulated them that doesn't make any sense to me but all right i'm not the you know archaeologist in the new effort the research team radiocarbon dated four more of the tablets that were taken from Easter Island and stored in a museum in Rome, Italy, and they found that three of the tablets were made from wood cut down on Easter Island sometime after the arrival of Europeans. But the fourth had come from a tree fell 200 years before the Europeans had arrived. Huh, that's interesting. That's very interesting. <laughs> so it originated from a tree not native to Easter Island. It was from South Africa. The researchers suggest that wood for the tablet had washed ashore on Easter Island, likely due to a shipwreck where natives had used it to carve messages in their native language. <laughs> yeah, there's some, I don't know. This is some creative <laughs> archeology. span but neat nonetheless, maybe one day we'll figure it all out. Maybe after I finish my time machine, being able to go that far back. Right now we go back about a week, week and a half so that we can do our show, but the, the twin black holes can't stay um, operational much longer than a week. Okay, let's keep going. We got one more article, folks. This next article is in Technology Today. Less sugar, more flavor. Scientists discover simple way to improve chocolate's taste. You know how to make it taste much, much better for uh, Mayor Watt? Put more sugar in it? Uh, more sugar, more flavor, less cost. Yeah. Penn State researchers have discovered a way uh, that a, a, a key to creating tasty chocolate with reduced sugar lies in using oat flour, a recent study reveals. That's all it takes? If I would have known that. It's like making a soy pancake. The uh, the article's over at SciTech Daily. Penn State is the author. There's no deck statement, but it says, we were able to show that there is a range in which you can manage a sizable reduction in added sugar and people won't notice and don't care in terms of liking said john hayes a professor of food science at penn state and corresponding author on the study we're never going to make chocolate healthy because it's an indulgence but we can successfully take out some of the sugar for consumers who are trying to reduce their intake of added sugars well that's kind of a boon for chocolate making making altogether because it's going to be a whole lot cheaper 
to not use well, sugar. That's true. Plus, explain- it might be more enticing that people are actually trying to pay attention to that. Yeah, exactly. So Hayes explained that chocolate is about half sugar by weight, with the rest being fat and cocoa solids. So reducing the amount of sugar by any amount can drastically alter the texture and flavor profile of the texture of the uh, chocolate. Yeah, because it's the chocolate liqueur and all of that. If that's an actual, it's a picture of the oat flour chocolate. Uh, I don't know about you, but that actually looks fundamentally different than a similar texture looks different right it looks grainy it looks like somebody put it a put it put it i'll be okay it's like somebody put a filter over it to make it hazy and grainy like a 70s photo you know yes it doesn't look like as crisp as you would expect it looks like old chocolate it doesn't look like new chocolate it doesn't look like smooth tempered I guess chocolate. the question is how is it what's the taste so i i'll have to adapt to the ugly to the ugly chocolate uh you know what that's the brand right there it's ugly but sweet oh just like marijuana anyway the function of sugar in chocolate is both sweetness and bulking so if you take that sugar out we have to put something else in that will do the job just as well or consumers will notice hand wavy whatever and you end up with starch is still a carbohydrate so it's not lower calories but there is still an overall reduction in the added sugar content which is potential health benefit all right hey why not replace it with something that's just as bulking but not as sweet so if you have if you are trying to wean yourself off of sugar which Um, As we know, if you try and just kind of cold turkey your way out of sugar consumption, you go through withdrawals like uh, any other drug addict. Not everybody ends up in ketosis, but um, and um, but yeah, that's that's quite interesting. So if you if you have your sugar intake, but you can still eat the chocolate. Hey, I think that's brilliant. Right. Pretty Plus cool. you're probably getting some additional, maybe some fiber in your diet. I mean, well, you're getting more carbs, that's for sure. And really the only way that you can offset all of the sugar and carbs is by fiber. So you really should be consuming more fiber out there, folks. Um, our results suggest that we can cut back 25% of the added sugar to chocolate, effectively reducing the total sugar by 13.5%. All right. If we substitute oat flour, that addition of oat flour is unlikely to be meaningfully uh, impacting uh, the consumer acceptability, which is great news. According again to Kai Kai Ma, a doctoral candidate in food science at Penn State and co-author on the paper. I don't know. Whoever it is that's eating this chocolate may just suck at tasting good chocolate. And it's just like, need like a chocolate connoisseur to taste it. You know, Marwad is available um, Monday through, well, let's be honest, the following Monday I'm available. So you just send me the chocolate and I'll let you know. <laughs> this one's good. I was thinking it'd be bad. nice to be a food scientist if this is what you get to, you get to yeah. do. Right? Yeah, like until you do chocolate. something. 
Yeah. Until you do something that makes your head pucker into your body. Well, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the person says, I'm a big believer in meeting consumers where they are. Hayes said, they've tried for 40 years to tell people to eat less sugar and it doesn't work because people want to eat what they want to eat. So instead of making people feel guilty, it works. You just have to have the right upbringing, apparently. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, we need to make people need to meet people where they are and figure out how to make food better while still preserving the pleasure from food. Yep. All right. Pretty cool. So everybody back into the party bus. We drive all the way back down Main Street and we land down in the uh, by the welcome sign, pull over, kind of drifting into a parking spot, and we just smash that welcome sign. And then all kinds of news that you don't necessarily want is going to be showing up on the front page. And I regret ever hitting the refresh. But if you are an hometown citizen, you can do this all day long. And it ends up in a little filter called ignored articles. If you want to save something, you can throw it this way. And it ends up in the saved articles. And if you want to submit some news, you can click on submit news. And if you want to go into some other subordinate channel, all of which will eventually be a show here on hometown. Well, you just mash it in there and off you go. Ta-da! That's how it works. Our aggregator throws stuff into each one of these little channels that are under these six categories, all of which is under hometown.com. Ta-da! That should be the intro for the show over on YouTube, but I have a one hour intro into what hometown is. <laughs> I have made mistakes. Anyway, that's it folks. Um, we are done. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI saying, screw you, San Diego. No, that's not what they say. I'm not reading a teleprompter. <laughs> Good night, I'm down citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Bye-bye. Mmm, chocolate. <laughs>